how ironical it is that in this intellectual sense, you were more free in China than you are here in Canada. In China, you have a, we have a much more rules than Canadian, but、mm-hmm. it is not rule of law. It is a dictatorship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well,、uh, most Canadians are unaware that、uh, professions like law, medicine, and psychology are actually supervised by self-governing societies. They were created by statutory law to be self-governing, so that they would be independent of government control or ideological influence. Well, today we'll be t- speaking to a couple of、uh, courageous Alberta lawyers. Who spearheaded a petition against mandatory Indigenous sensitivity training by their law society? Training which really has no relevance to the competency of lawyers practicing in the province. We'll discover why they did it, what happened to the petition, and most importantly, what they intend to do about it. They are Roger Song and Glenn Blackett. Welcome to Grey Matter, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Perhaps we could start.、Uh, With、uh, as we usually do with、uh, our framing aphorisms,、uh, again some of these are chosen in the honor of our guests.、Uh, the first one is from someone I mentioned in the opening.、Uh, this is、uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who wrote, "A world without freedom of speech is a world of slavery and tyranny." From C.S. Lewis, a quotation that I've mentioned on this program before: "Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive." And finally,、uh, from、uh, Saint Thomas More, who is the you might know as the patron Catholic saint of lawyers, lost his head for challenging the King of England,、uh, who wrote, "One of the greatest problems of our time—it's <laughs> still our time—is that many are schooled but few are educated." So, on the show today, we have Glenn Black. Glenn is a civil rights lawyer working in Calgary with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. We also have、uh, Roger Song,、uh, who is、uh, has an extensive international legal experience and language skills. Roger helps Canadian companies and entrepreneurs to develop business relationship and opportunities, and in negotiation and to close commercial transactions with Chinese partners and companies and make investment in province of Alberta, mainland China, and Asia market. And、um, he is also a lawyer, as we said, in the province of Alberta. So perhaps、uh, we could start with uh, with Roger.、Um, Roger, I understand that、um, you were、uh, very intimately involved in the launching of a peti- of a petition that was signed by、uh, a number of Alberta lawyers, including myself, against、uh, a mandatory course、uh, on Indigenous history. Would you perhaps start out by telling us a little bit about the petition, how it got started, and and why you did it? Okay. Well, thank you, Gray.、Um, okay, so we sent out a letter to the profession,、uh, July thirteen, twenty twenty two. Basically, we ask、uh, uh, our peers to endorse our petition、uh, to repeal Rule six seven point four of the Rules of、uh, Alberta. Law society, and that rule basically says、uh, the benchers have the power to impose whatever、uh, specific education they think are in the interest of the public 
to the old professions of Alberta under the penalty of automatic suspension. In other words, they have the power to impose whatever education they believe that we should take. And if we disobey, they have the power to automatically suspend our legal license to practice. So personally, in order to get that license in Canada, I endured uh, seven years law schools in Beijing, in China. I got my LLM degree from NYU and have my uh, license to practice in New York. And then I came back, uh, when I came to Canada, I went back to law school at the University of Calgary, do my three years J JD and do my one year article. And finally, I got my license to practice law in Canada at age of 50. So in other words, under this rule, the law society just can suspend my license to practice law in Canada just because I don't want to participate their doctrination. I think to be clear, our petition is not about uh, the First Nation issue. In our letter, uh, July 13 to the profession, uh, Mr. Benjamin Furland and I co-authored this letter. We make it very specifically saying, to be clear, we do not oppose Rule 67.4 based on a belief that understanding indigenous culture is unimportant. Rather, we oppose it because we do not believe the benchers have or should have the power to mandate cultural, political, and ideological education of any kind on Alberta lawyers as a condition of practice. We believe the profession and our clients are best served by an approach to CBD, recognizing that individual lawyers and firms not the ventures are best situated to understand and address their CPD requirements and professional needs. So that's the basic background of the. Of the mm -hmm. So we start from there, just uh, 17 and uh, 13, we send out letter and then gradually we receive the signature support of lawyers and uh, eventually we, it, it still took me like, a, like seven months or, uh, or maybe five months to get the required 50 signatures right? mm. because I'm a, I'm a new immigrant. I have no connection. <laughs> I'm so practitioners, right? Not well connected. So that, that's, uh, that's the background. Yeah. Mm. Later. So uh, Glenn, um, you're obviously uh, a lawyer who is involved specifically in, uh, in human rights, civil liberties uh, with the, with the justice center for constitutional freedoms. Um, this is obviously something that's of concern to you and also to the Justice Center. Do you want to explain a little bit why, what the essence of this is? Because I know that in the media, in the mass media, this has been um, misplayed as uh, some sort of uh, racism or bigotry or insensitivity to Indigenous peoples, but it really has nothing to do with that, does it? Well, it depends on your definition of racism, I suppose. Um, if by racism you mean opposing any uh, particular viewpoint, then then um, I guess it is a kind of a racism. That was, that was Trotsky's original definition, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. We're right back to where we started. That's it. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, and I've said this a million times, the, the, every petitioner signed the petition for its own reason. And I signed the petition for my own reasons. 
I wouldn't even say they're the Justice Center's reasons. I didn't sign it as a member of, of the Justice Center, although that's what I do as a living. Um, but, you know, my my opposition was both, um, I'd say, the mode and um, content of of that that training. And by mode, I mean, you know, the authoritarian style with which it was handed down by our law society. You know, I, I don't think that if you look at the Legal Professions Act, it's at all clear that they have the power to impose any CPD or be involved, frankly, in CPD in any way. Um, they had an old rule, 67.12 and 3, which said, you know, there's some criteria that they imposed saying, you know, it's got to relate to your practice or ethics or law or something, but you have to be doing CPD and you have to report to us what CPD you're doing. And even that rule, I mean, I didn't have a problem with it because it was easy to comply with and it still left me in charge of deciding what I need to do to ensure that I am competent in my practice, given my particular, um, you know, practice and, and clientele. Um, even though I didn't have a problem with the rule, I still didn't think they had the power to impose it, but that's fine. So I complied with that rule along with every other lawyer, I think, or most other lawyers. I don't think it was well enforced and I don't know that anyone read my plan to see if they liked it or something like that. Um, but rule 67.4 was, you know, the next level of intrusion into the, into the lawyer's independence. And, you know, instead of, instead of saying, well, we have the power to ensure that you're doing CPD they took the power to impose particular CPD. So, you know, I don't care what practice area you're in. I don't care what your clientele look like. I don't care what your history is. I don't care what you know, what doctorate you might have in history. You're going to do this particular kind of training because according to the law society, it's going to make me more competent to practice as a lawyer, mm -hmm. which I mean, for the most part is kind of absurd because I I don't deal in indigenous law very often. So the, the mode of it, you know, imposing the, 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 that training. And I should mention too, that um, when they, when the law society imposed that additional form of, of CPD, where they could tell lawyers exactly what to do under rule 67.4, they excuse themselves from all of those requirements under the rules that the, that that training relate to things like substantive law or, professional ethics or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that was probably wise that they do so because the path didn't seem to align with that concept of professional development at all. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part of my problem. And then I think I stand apart from many of the petitioners in that I opposed the content of the path as well. I thought it was it was a bad history. It was a slanted history. It was a it was a bad and slanted history for the purpose of driving home a propagandistic point. Um, and it was bad politics. Um, you know, it, it suggests, it, you know, it basically suggests a uh, a um, a number of policies, let's say that fine, you can propose those policies, but those policies should be something that are, first of all, presented in the public forum uh, in the in the Democratic forum where you're presenting it to elected legislators. Um, I think that, you know, we have this theory that we now base our policy on evidence. Therefore, I think it should have been an evidence-based policy argument, um, which would require looking at evidence on both sides of the issues that they've presented and, you know, should have been presented along with advocates of opposing positions. And I would take as the, maybe the, the figurehead of that movement, maybe a Francis Widowson or a, or a Tom Flanagan, um, mm -hmm. to, to talk really about, you know, I think their proposal would be that, 
you know, economic integration is how you enhance the economic outcomes of a society, not economic isolation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I had substantive objections to the content of the path that I don't think were shared by many. And I don't think that they, I don't think they were shared by many because they wouldn't if they knew more about it. But the more you unpeel that onion, the more uh, it makes you want to cry for the, mm. the um, you know, validity of it. Roger, I'd like to come back to you um, because you, you mentioned you shared that uh, you, you come from China. Uh, this must have been this must have been especially troubling for you, given that uh, you left a society which in which uh, you know let's face it, civil liberties and that sort of thing are are suppressed. Uh, a society in which censorship is normalized, and and in which uh, indoctrination is really part of the part of the culture. I, I take it you probably came to the West, the United States, and Canada to escape all this. So this must be especially troubling for exactly. you to, to sort of have this mandatory investigation and almost uh, 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 almost like a post-traumatic uh, stress situation for you. You want to right. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, th- thanks, uh, Leighton, you raised that. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So when I see the notice from the Law Society saying this is the cultural competence requirement, so they use specifically the word cultural competence, that mm-hmm. immediately reminds me of another phrase called cultural revolution mm-hmm. or political competence in China. So when I was in China, I received uh, 22 years, educa- 17 years education. I was working as a professor at the University, uh, Beijing University Law School. I have to take one specific subject of course, and that course is called competence of ideology. Basically that course is a doctrination of Marxist communism ideas and regime and uh, and world will i have to take that course from grade, grade one up to my graduate school if i fail that subject i cannot be advanced to a higher level of education i cannot be admitted into the school that i want to go right so that is the uh, that, that i really hate that type of uh, indoctrination uh, course because I have to memorize everything. I have to uncritically accept everything they told me and put it on paper, say, this is the answer, right? Um, but I have no choice. I have no choice. Exactly as you said, I came to Canada because you know the culture of Canada is attracting to me. Nobody in, Ca- in China can tell me to take a, educa- a mandatory education on the culture of Canada so that I can make the decision uh, to make this not to immigrate to Africa, not immigrate to uh, South America, but to Canada, because Canada's culture is attractive to me based on my uh, knowledge, based on my interaction with Canadian scholars visiting the campus, uh, interacting with the Canadian students visiting the campus in Beijing University, based on my understanding through social media. Nobody impose me a mandatory education. So I think it's a big irony that, you know, this subject mm. is to make me uh, to, to be culturally competent on indigenous people. But I have the, I, ha- I can show you wave that piece of certificate of achievement of completing the path to you. Mm-hmm. But still I'm now blamed by so many mis- misinformed, misguided people as a racist. Mm-hmm. This subject is not, has nothing to do at all with First Nations. 
Mm-hmm. Even yesterday well, from uh, the media, I saw a, a chief say a, a blazing, a blaming 800 Alberta lawyers for being against First Nation. I think in mm-hmm. China, one of the techniques of the authority is to engage the struggle among different different classes of people. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's their game of controlling people. That's their game of, of keeping in power. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I saw this, I mean, it is kind of big division of pro First Nation or pro Indigenous people or someone like me who are against. That is the that's the old game. Now I, I'm too familiar in China. I think they're mm-hmm. trying to this to me. It just reminds me of all this kind of ugly political game and uh, and a deny of truth, right? So mm-hmm. truth can only be accepted and denied, but you cannot change it. The truth mm-hmm. is is that. The, the lawyers stand up against the indoctrination of the law society. That's the truth. We are not mm-hmm. against First Nation people. We are not against the indigenous people. We, I think mm-hmm. I would expect the law society in order to promote the awareness of First, First Nation people or, 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 or indigenous people, they can do a couple of things. They can give guidance on the level of training required, right? Mm-hmm. If you're classing mm-hmm. Advising an indigenous client on, on the subject of divorce, you have to understand what he what he or she is coming from, what what mm-hmm. for background, right? How he got married, that type of stuff. Very specific, right? You need to, you mm-hmm. cannot just sit in a dark room in front of a computer for five hours and suddenly you're expert of Canadian, you know, uh, indigenous mm-hmm. people's culture. That, that's a delusion. I, th- I think the short answer is that uh, I don't see the legal profession or any aspect of it or the plight of indigenous peoples through the lens of racism. That's number one. But how ironical it is that in 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 this intellectual sense, you were more free in China than you are here in Canada. So, uh, uh, Glenn, you've uh, you, you've you've come up with a, a sort of a plan, working plan now. Uh, this vision quest. Uh, you're trying to find a, a name for this new, uh, I guess, collaborative effort of uh, of lawyers. Uh, to try and raise awareness and and get organized and and really take on this woke ideology uh, and and did you want to talk about that a little bit what the plan is and uh, is there a name for it yet and and what is the what does the future hold for that or I know we're really in the early stages but I think this is something that uh, is very exciting and encouraging especially for members of the legal profession perhaps for society at large yeah I mean uh, I think. Well, part of the part of the the object of of my work right now is to try to see where we're aligned, where the peti- people in the petition are aligned. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people signed that petition for different reasons. A lot of people didn't have any problems with the. I don't think they even detected the ideology inside the path or the ideology that manifests itself in Rule sixty seven point four, or have any problem with the ideology that's otherwise saturated on in the law society's statutory objectives and stuff. But so I I come at it from one particular angle, and my angle would be um, that of a classic liberal. I would say also an, an atheist. Um, I, you know, I recognize that we're a, 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 a culture that, that, uh, you know, historically has been informed and largely is informed by a Christian moral ethic. And I have no problem with a Christian moral ethic. I just don't happen to believe in, you know, that Jesus Christ was the son of God and that there's such a thing as God, but, um, you know, still we'll, turn we'll the other win you over. Roger and I will win you. Yeah, over. maybe yeah, we'll see. 
you know, turn the other cheek. Um, the human, just the common humanity of people, uh, love your neighbor like you love yourself or, or more maybe. Um, those are all, I think, beautiful, moral and important values for a, to hold a country together in a, in mm -hmm. a cohesive, you know, productive way. Mm -hmm. And I think that those that morality is a big part of the reason that the West was so socioeconomically dynamic and successful, whether, you know, whatever your definition is, is of successful. But so anyway, I come at it from a slightly different perspective, but I would say I'm. I'm what I think most Canadians believe that that the law and the Constitution is, which is a classic liberal. You know, I believe in in limited government, which doesn't mean a small government. I'm not necessarily a libertarian, um, right. but it means that there has to be limits on government because the bigger mm -hmm. government becomes and the more it invades every aspect of your life, the less freedom you have just by definition that's right there's there's no way past that. So mm -hmm. I believe in that, I believe in the rule of law, I believe in in equality before the law. Um, I believe in objective reality. I, you know, I believe that the way to, I don't believe in, I wouldn't say I believe in truth. Um, Roger likes the word truth. And I, and I definitely understand the importance of truth and the, the evil of a public lie and the destructiveness of a public lie. Right. Um, but I would say the more nuanced kind of scientific Western approach is not so much truth as it is a journey away from error or perhaps towards truth, but it's the process of finding truth, which is free speech, diversity of opinion, no censorship, you know, empirical observation, reason, the application of reason to empirical observation, and then you know, uh, positing verif or falsifiable hypotheses that you attempt to disprove. And if you can't, you provide your method, your data and everything to other scientists to try to challenge and discredit that. That, that mm -hmm. whole process towards truth is something that also underpins the successes of, of Western nations historically. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, and I think, I mean, that was definitely the mindset that, that both, um, you know, created Canada that um that was the reason that canada succeeded along with other western states and and the same theory to some extent which informed the the charter although i would argue that the charter was the beginning of well not the beginning but was a step towards judicial legislation let's put it that way and secularization um, of the of canadian society certainly if if you if you take for example you know the the first big charter case being Big M Drug Mart and what that did to the Lord's Day Act. That was really the beginning of not only what you talked about, creating an environment in which the Supreme Court of Canada could really determine and set the values for a nation, but also uh, it really set the tone for the secularization of Canada. And uh, we can disagree on this, Roger, and I would agree to our detriment. Um, in fact, I'll just mention Michael Wagner, wonderful Alberta author, has written a brilliant book called Moving Past God that talks about this uh, concept. Anyway, Glenn, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to sort of add in and, uh, and add to your point. Yeah. I mean, they they congratulate themselves on being the most progressive court in the world, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, depends what you mean by progress, but progressive these days means woke. And yeah, so it's and, a euphemism. I, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, a progress towards what, you know, again, I would say it's a, it's a, progress towards a dark vision for humanity mm -hmm. uh gentlemen this has been uh, a wonderful discussion i thank you for this time 
we're at the part of the show where we sort of wrap up with something called the reading list. And so if, if the two of you, if each of you have a, a book or two that you'd like to recommend or an article or a website, um, I'm going to come to you and uh, ask you to provide those. There's a couple of books that I'd like to recommend to the people taking this in. Uh, one is, is, uh, is, is one that I would recommend to really anyone who's interested in, in the truth about uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This is a book that's published by the Frontier Center for Public Policy called From Truth Comes Re- Reconciliation. People who follow this program know that we had the author, Dr. Rodney Clifton, uh, who's a brilliant scholar, Canadian scholar on this program. Uh, this book, uh, I actually had the pleasure of writing the foreword to it. It's going into its second edition now, and it tells the, the truth the, about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And it's not, it's not the version that's being told by our federal governments uh, or by universities in this country or in, in the, the Law Society course called The Path. So, Roger, uh, do you have a, a suggestion or two about uh, resources people could turn to, a book or, or something of that nature that will enhance uh, understanding of this topic? If I, if, if from my bottom of my heart, if you truly want me to recommend a book, I would recommend the Holy Bible. Well, that one has been recommended on this program many times before, and it's great because it actually has 66 books, at least the one I read. Glenn, turning to you, do you have a suggestion or two about uh, resources people can access, books they can read that will uh, enhance their understanding of what we've been talking about today? The the two, my kind of two main go-tos are Karl Popper's An Open Society and Its Enemies. Ah, um, yes. That was not on our but, list. Thanks for that. The other one that I would recommend is Hannah Arendt's The Origins of Totalitarianism. That one is on our reading list, but a wonderful, incredibly eye-opening book. Um, we also had recently a, a book that was discussed in this program when we had Dr. Robert Malone on. Uh, oh. There's a new book by Matthias Desmond called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And it's a wonderful companion. If people are going to read their rent book, the Desmond book is a wonderful companion to that book because it sort of builds on the structure of what uh, Hannah Arendt wrote about in that book. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's an excellent suggestion. Thanks for that, Glenn. Just to sum it up, this is a great example of what we've been talking about today. Um, I've been a lawyer in this province for a long time. I'm privileged to be. Uh, I'm very proud of that. Uh, the lawyers I've known are some of the very best, most principled, most intelligent people that I've known in my lifetime. And I happen to believe that if the Law Society had simply made the information available to lawyers, I would say the vast majority, nearly all the lawyers in this province would have read it and they would have formed their own opinions about it. And they would have formed better opinions about it, more useful opinions about it than the ones that they have formed by, through mandatory education. That's my two cents, but this happens to be my show. So there it is. Gentlemen, I want to thank you so much. I'm so grateful for having you on the program uh, and, and also for, for taking the bull by the horns and, and forging a new path forward. I'm very excited about this project that, uh, that you are putting together, and uh, I hope to be a contributor to it and, uh, and to help to be part of it. So once again, thank you so much to both of you for being part of Grey Matter today. It's been my pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Mr. Gray.